No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. As Pharaoh continued to harden his heart against the Lord, God brought more plagues against the Egyptians and their gods. But he also began to make a distinction between his own people and those who resist his will. We hope you'll join us now as Pastor Daryl continues in Exodus chapter 8 on Simply the Bible. How stubborn can one person be? Perhaps you've wondered that about a person. Sometimes we wonder how bad things must get before someone will finally humble himself and turn to the Lord. But tragically, many times they never do. The story of Pharaoh illustrates how foolish this course is. We pick it up in Exodus chapter 8, verse 20. And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, and also the ground on which they stand. The ten plagues against Egypt are divided into three triads, with the tenth plague of the death of the firstborn being separate unto itself. Each triad begins with the Lord instructing Moses to rise early in the morning to confront Pharaoh. The first two plagues of each triad are preceded by a warning. The third plague comes without warning. God is merciful in warning people before he brings judgment, but if they persist in their rebellion, as Pharaoh did, then he brings judgment without warning. The fourth plague was of swarms. The of flies is added by the translators. We don't exactly know what insect the Hebrew word refers to. Some think that it was the scarab beetle or the dung beetle that was sacred to the Egyptians and widespread in their art. The scarab was linked to the god of the rising sun, who the Egyptians believed renewed the sun every day before rolling it over the horizon. Therefore, the scarab beetle was associated with renewal, resurrection, and eternal life. And often, it would be placed upon the tombs of their deceased. Verse 22, And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. The first three plagues were indiscriminate, affecting both Egyptians and Hebrews. But beginning with the fourth plague, God would make a distinction between the Egyptians and his own people. While God's people may suffer persecution and hardship, they are not appointed to suffer God's wrath. Just as God delivered Noah from the floodwaters, he would deliver his people from these judgments that were against Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods. May I suggest that the safest place any of us can be is under the shield of God's protection? 
when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, then we are declared to be God's people. And he makes a distinction to separate us from many of the plagues that come upon the world because of sin. Verse 24, and the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Imagine what it would be like to be an Egyptian. And the creature that you held sacred, the scarab beetle, suddenly came in thick swarms, infesting your home and covering all the ground beneath your feet. But then you hear that in the land of Goshen, where the Hebrews lived, there were no such swarms. Wouldn't you think twice about the God that you worshipped? The Lord's purpose in all these plagues was ultimately to show the Egyptians the consequences of their idolatry. The gods they worshipped could not save them. Verse 25, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. This is the first of several compromises that Pharaoh offered to Moses. Now, in this account of the children of Israel, Egypt is a picture of the world, sin and bondage. And Pharaoh pictures Satan and his attempts to hold people in a life of bondage. Here, Pharaoh offers the first compromise, stay in the land. If you decide that you're going to give your life to Jesus Christ and serve the Lord, then Satan will say, well, okay, if you insist, then go ahead, serve God, but stay in the land. Continue to live in the world and don't change your lifestyle. You can go to church occasionally. You can even crack open your Bible every now and then, but don't make any real separation from the world. But God said in 2 Corinthians 6.17, Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you, and I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Would you like to make a clean break from this world and from the bondage of sin? Then pray, Father, show me those people and things from which I must separate myself if I am to be fully committed to you, and grant me the grace to come out of this world. Verse 26, And Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. Moses used good logic because the bull was another one of the chief gods of the Egyptians. In fact, they worshipped the bull. They had a temple built for the bull, and when their bulls died, they would embalm them. So if the Egyptians saw the Israelites offering bulls as sacrifices, it would be an abomination to them. Likewise, We worship the Lamb of God who was sacrificed on the cross for our sins. But the cross is an abomination to unbelievers who do not know that they are helpless sinners and therefore they don't see any need for Christ to die on the cross. But we must go outside the camp of this world if we are to worship Christ. Verse 28, 
So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. Then Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully any more in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Here, Pharaoh offers the second compromise. You can go, but don't go very far. Likewise, when Satan sees that you're determined to follow Jesus, he says, okay, but don't go overboard. Don't go very far into this Christian thing. Don't become a fanatic. Now, I live in Boise, home of the BSU Broncos, and I have seen people go all out for our local football team. We even call this Bronco Nation. I see people driving around with their flags. I've seen them paint themselves blue and orange. When the Broncos score a touchdown, the fans yell, applaud, and even jump up and down. But does anyone accuse them of being fanatical? But what if we were to show anywhere near this enthusiasm for Jesus? We would be accused of being Jesus freaks and religious fanatics. But Bronco fans show their exuberance for the win of a game that is only temporary. We celebrate our victory in Christ that is eternal. And yet the devil says to the believer, you can be a Christian, but don't go very far. Don't get too deeply involved. Don't become a fanatic. Verse 30. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. Chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. The Lord told Pharaoh that he wanted his people to go so that they could serve him. This is the heart of God. We find our greatest joy and purpose when we are serving God. It is what we were created to do, and our soul will never be satisfied with anything less. Pharaoh wouldn't let the Hebrews sacrifice their livestock to the Lord, so now the livestock of the Egyptians would die. As with the flies, God would make a distinction with the Hebrews so that their livestock would be unharmed. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Now, if all the cattle of the Egyptians died in this plague, then how do we account for the presence of these animals later? Two explanations have been offered. The word all could be a figure of speech for a large quantity without meaning the totality of the Egyptian livestock. Or else, the plague could have killed all the animals in the field, but not those in shelters. 
At this point, it would be obvious to anyone that these plagues were not coincidental. The Lord was making an obvious distinction between the Egyptians and the Hebrews. He was not only the God of the Hebrews, but also the God of the world. And he was not only the God outside of Egypt, but also in the midst of the land. He was able to bring about precisely what he declared through his servant Moses. Verse 7, Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Although Pharaoh knew that none of the Hebrews' livestock had died, he still hardened his heart. We are told in 2 Peter 3.9 that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We see how God testifies in his word again and again of his desire to save people. He is slow to anger and rich in mercy and grace. But those who resist him will find hardships being multiplied in their lives. God desires to show them the end results of their sins so that they will turn to him for deliverance. It is amazing to me that some people will continue to harden their heart, as Pharaoh did, rather than receive God's gracious provision of forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. But such is the mystery of the unrepentant and hardened heart. Instead, may God help us to humble ourselves beneath his mighty hand and be numbered among those who call upon the name of the Lord and are saved. You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. For more information about our church, please visit our website at calvarytv.org. To listen to other episodes, go to 941thevoice.com or check out our iTunes podcast. Tomorrow, we'll see where Pharaoh becomes so desperate that he confesses his sin. But does that mean he's changed? We hope you'll join us as we continue in the book of Exodus on Simply the Bible. Simply the Bible